Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. It's really good to see you guys. You know, sometimes you just have those weeks, you know what I mean, where like you come in and you're just kind of limping in this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I limp in here, right? I feel like, I feel like when I get here and it's just, it's just me and Rev, this morning it was me, Rev, and D-Lou in here and I don't know, sometimes it feels like I'm limping, right? Sometimes it feels like I'm kind of like dragging to get here. Uh, and, then, and then I don't know how you experience this, but like when I experience the people who come through those doors, like when I get to see you guys, where I get to like shake your hand, dap you up, give you a hug or the awkward fist bump that some of y'all offer, I know who you are. You know, it just, it, it, it fills my tank. It fills my tank and I'm always excited uh, to be with you guys. And it always fills me up to be with you guys. Even more so than that, believe it or not, I'm even more excited when I get to do the favorite part of my entire job, which is bring the word of God. I don't know about you, but is anybody else excited to be a recipient of the word of God this morning? Good, good. So we've been walking through this series as we approach the text. We've been walking through this series called Holy and Acceptable. Church, if you're with me this morning, say holy and acceptable. Say holy like he woke you up this morning. Say acceptable like he's the author of your breath. That's what I'm talking about. It's holy and acceptable. See, the book of Romans talks about, specifically in chapter 12, offering yourselves, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. And this is the worship that is holy and pleasing to God. Now, I don't, I, 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 I've been over this text for years and years, and it still, every time I approach it, feels like such a daunting task. It feels like a lot to ask. That feels like a lot to offer. And so what we're trying to do in this series week by week is we're, is we're trying to uh, touch on one element of our lives for us to uh, prayerfully consider, contemplate, and walk through what it looks like to give that area of our life to God. Because if you want to be technical, and I know a lot of folks who've grown up in church want to be technical about a lot of things. If you want to be technical, the only percentage that I see Jesus ever ask for is 100, right? And so we want to be intentional about what it looks like to give 100%. We've talked about a little bit about what it looks like offering of our treasures. We talked a little bit about what it looks like to offer of our relationships. Last week, we touched on what it looks like to offer our reverence. And this week, where we want to go is what does it really look like to offer to God our whole trust. And so if you would, I would invite you uh, to turn in your physical Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. So wherever you find it in your Bible that the New Testament begins, bam, you're already there, right? Um, we're going to go to the 14th chapter. If you don't have a physical Bible with you, uh, let me encourage you, if you want to use your electronic devices to slide those bad boys into uh, do not disturb mode, you know, we don't want to be open to the opportunities or the questionings of the devil this morning. We don't want to be open to anything else that's, that's out there when we're in the word of God. We want to be focused. And if you are not confident in your, in your temptation to fight off the temptation to, or fight, confident in your ability to fight off the temptation of staying off of Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, text messages, TikTok, whatever the heck else is going on, then I encourage you to just go ahead and use the screen up here as we give you a faithful telling and a faithful reading. This is Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read uh, just one story today. We're going to start in verse 13. So Matthew chapter 14, 
starting in verse 13, the gospel according to Matthew says it this way. It says, when Jesus heard about it, we'll talk about what he heard about. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, Jesus saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached Jesus and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. So send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish over here, they said. Well, bring what you have here to me, Jesus said. And then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. And now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. You ever want something so bad, and then you get it? And you're like, now nah, that's really not how I wanted that to go down. Like I saw getting that a little bit differently. I've been walking through that lately. See, for the last 11 years, I've wanted nothing more. Very few things more, I should say. I don't want to overstate it. Very few things have I wanted more than for my wife to get into football with me. Right? I've wanted it for so long. Like, I want Sundays to be ours. We sit together and we, you know, we cuddle up on the couch. That's when it's appropriate to snuggle, right? When we're watching the Cowboys. And when I get loud, I want you to get loud with me. And when I get down, I want you to get down with me, right? I want you to share this with me. Well, this year, praise be to God, my wife is finally into football. But it ain't going how I saw it in my mind. See, what had happened was over the summer, I know some of y'all know exactly what I'm about to say. Netflix released this docuseries called Quarterback. Now, I'm a nerd. I'm a big nerd. I love documentaries. And I love specifically documentaries about how people built their empire. It just fascinates me. Right. Right now I'm walking through I'm walking through the John Gotti docuseries. Right. It's just it's just interesting to me. It's not even that I'm endorsing it. Right. Pablo Escobar is another one. Like it's not that I'm endorsing these things. It's that I'm genuinely curious. Like I'm, I'm curious. Like I, I, I have I have the mind for like how people lead and how people lead. Well, it, it spikes my curiosity. So when I saw that Patrick Mahomes was on quarterback, I was like, well, that's I mean, that's the best quarterback in the league right now. I, of course, I want to see a docuseries about how, what he goes through day in and day out to be so great. That's interesting to me, right? I'm interested by Patrick Mahomes' competence. Here's what I learned. My wife also got interested. But she got interested into goofy stuff, like his character. She's like, aw, he's so nice. 
and the little baby, you know? And then she looks at Kirk Cousins, and she's like, oh, he's so sweet. You know, and she looks at Marcus Mariota, and she's like, you know, yeah, yeah, he's cool too. You know, and, and what I had in my mind is that, like, maybe by, getting, maybe by getting a little bit into this quarterback series, that then she'd, like, want to approach, you know, the Cowboys games with me and be like, okay, let's watch some football, right? Um, but what happened is that, like, she, like, low-key claims to be a Chiefs fan right now. And that's so annoying. <laughs> right? The other day she goes, hey, what time do the Cowboys play? You know, I want to know what time to not see you again. I said, I, said, I said, they play at 425. She said, oh, what time do the Chiefs play? I said, they also play at 425. She goes, ah, I'm going to have to be upstairs then. Right? I'm like, what, bro? Like, this is, this, is so, this is so goofy to me, right? We are watching. We're both watching, and this is kind of what I wanted, but we're watching very different things. She's watching for people's character, right? She's like, oh, look at him. He's so nice. He's such a nice guy. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, yeah, but he sucks at his job. We're just not on the same page. We're not looking for the same thing. She's over here watching people's character and I'm trying to watch people's competence, right? It's much the same when it comes to the way that we build trust with other people. Or let me flip it, the way that other people build trust with us. Some of us watch specifically for people's character. Some people watch specifically for your chemistry. Are we likable, right? Can we, can we get along? Can we hang out? Others of us watch people's competence, right? Your character can be what it is, but are you good at what you do, right? Others Watch for credibility. And I get it, right? There's room for all of it, to be clear. It's just, it's just about who you are, and it's just about the nature of, of what you look for and what naturally builds, builds trust with you. And that's, and that's cool um, until we take that same skepticism or cynicism that it takes to build trust with us, and we attach it to God. And so the reason that I like the text, the reason that I like the story that, that we're going through this morning is because I believe that it perfectly embodies God building trust in every possible way you could be looking for it. I believe that when we, that when we see this story and that moreover, when we get beyond the Sunday school telling of this miracle, that what we see is something a lot deeper that allows, uh, that allows us as the reader to build trust in God, in who he is, in what he can do, and in when he'll do it. Watch this, right? So when you start this text, it says Jesus heard about this. What Jesus had just heard about was the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus had a lot of stock in, right? Jesus liked him a whole lot. Right. They were they were close. And even though their lives like didn't get to their ministries, didn't get to overlap necessarily a ton. They were like super close. You know, those relationships that I'm talking about. You don't get to see somebody a whole lot. But every time you're together, it's like you've never been apart. 
right? And Jesus knows that, that, the, that the nature of the ministry that John the Baptist is dedicated to is the same as what his is. As a matter of fact, Scripture specifically points out that it says that somebody is going to come to prepare the way for what Jesus is going to do. And it's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry was to get people ready. It's to get people all riled up and like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So that way when Jesus comes along, they're like, oh, Messiah, bet, right? But as a result, John the Baptist's ministry is causing a whole lot of political turmoil. It's causing a whole lot of religious turmoil. See, there's, there's a lot of people in high influential places that have invested interest in John the Baptist not saying nothing no more. And so what Jesus just learned was that in the midst of that religious turmoil, in the midst of that political turmoil, John the Baptist got got. What he just learned was that, was that he had ruffled so many feathers that somebody made the conscious effort to make sure John the Baptist couldn't speak anymore. And that's a lot to sit with. Not only that that's your friend, not only that the turmoil got that thick, but that it's the same type of ministry that you also are a part of. That's a lot to sit with. And so naturally, it says Jesus withdrew from the place where he heard the news to go and do what? To go and be alone. He's like, I, I just need some headspace for a little while. I need to get out of here. I need some, some time to myself to be with my thoughts and to be with my father. But then as he draws away, this big crowd of people follow him. Now, those of you who have children, I know you know what I'm talking about. But you ever had that moment where you're like, I just need five to myself. And then them little minions follow you. And you think that the bathroom is a safe place. And then it's dad, you get me juice. I'm like, I'm just trying to. Okay. Right. Jesus is just trying to get away for a second. He just needs a little bit of time to be alone, but then here comes this crowd. And by the way, can I go ahead and put it on you like this? It's a needy crowd. They're like, Jesus, we heard what you did. Come tell us. We seen what you did. Come do it for us, right? We have needs. We have thoughts. We have wants. Can you meet it for us too, right? Imagine being in that place. I don't know about you, but I'm shutting the door. I don't know about you, but I'm like, no, this is my time. Go on and get out of here. But the text tells us that Jesus saw the crowd in this moment that he just learned of his friend's death. In the moment that he just learned of all this stuff that's coming his way. In a moment that he just needed a moment to get away. And he looks and there's a whole lot of people coming with him. And it says Jesus had compassion. What, dude? Jesus had compassion. In other words, Jesus had this like gut reaction that then would issue an action on his part that would then meet a need that they had. Jesus in a time where he was in need, Jesus in a time where he wanted to get away, had compassion on others. 
He looked at them, and if you look at other uses of this word as it particularly pertains to Jesus, you'll see that what he saw in that moment was sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, he was in pain. Yeah, he was in agony. But when he saw the crowd coming towards them, he thought to himself, oh, they don't have anyone to follow. They don't know where to place their hope. They don't know where to go to get their needs met. So it says he began to heal their sick. See, he didn't just have compassion on them and think to himself, oh, somebody should surely meet their needs. I hope pastor's watching and he does it, right? Jesus got up and he healed their sick, right? And then the disciples were like, okay, Jesus, you're better than us. Good job. But it's getting late. They miss dinner. Pretty soon shops are going to be closed and they have a ways to walk anyway to get to said shops to get food. So you should probably just send people on home so that they can get some dinner. And instead, Jesus elects to be all inclusive in this moment. He says, no, I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm going to play this one out differently, fellas. Uh, I think I'm going to play it out differently. Um, but good news, I'm going to include you, disciples, in what I'm doing. And I'm going to include this entire crowd that came just when I was trying to get away in my dinner plans. And we're going to do something here. We're going to do something here uh, uh, that, that, that is going to be beyond your own expectation. As a matter of fact, tell, tell them to come here and then tell them to, to, to sit down. But the word, like, that's like such a tough translation. The word more appropriately, like more, uh, uh, more aligned in its original text is like recline. Tell them to recline. Tell them, tell them to sit back and chill because this situation where I was just trying to get away and y'all follow me just became a formal family banquet. This became family dinner. Tell them sit down. Tell them get comfortable. Tell them that we're about to share a meal. Tell them about we're about to do something that, that, that symbolizes and signifies unity in a place where there is nothing. In the midst of our political turmoil in the midst of the face of death and in the midst of so many that are hungry do you trust God's character do you trust who God is do you trust who God says that he is see I have a whole lot of friends I have some family too that when you talk about belief or trust in God, inevitably, pretty quickly, what's going to come up is, well, if God, if the God that you believe in is so good, what's up with all the people that are starving? If the God that you believe in is so good, then why, for the seventh time in my lifetime, is there conflict in the Middle East? If the God that you believe in is so good, then why are there people that are just whole suffering for their entire existences? And what frustrates me about that argument is that it completely neglects the fact that all of these things that you're stating are consequences of worldly systems that were built away from God. These are consequences of worldly systems where man, apart from God, got it in their head that some of us are better than others. 
That some people's stuff should be my stuff. That some people's rights to land should be my rights to land. And that I shouldn't feel bad about my own worldly success. We completely ignore these facts and we attribute the fallenness of our humanity and the brokenness of the systems of our world and we slap that on God. And we say that it's his fault that this happened. But here's the thing, and this is the most simple way that I can put it to some folks that have some doubts in these areas, is that is this, it's a phrase that I say often, so you won't be surprised, is that if you really want to know the character of God, if you really, really, really want to know what God is like, right? Well, I read the Old Testament, and there's wars there too, and I read this, and I read that, and, and all of a sudden, okay, 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 listen to me carefully. If you really want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you really want to know what the character of God has to say, if you really want to know what God would do, if you really want to know God's ambition, if you will, look at the character of Jesus because Jesus is God perfectly revealed in human form, right? Jesus in this situation is experiencing political turmoil. Jesus just received the news of a death real close to him. And Jesus is now face to face in a moment of his own, being, his own self being distraught, is now face to face with a hungry crowd. And so what is God like in the face of political turmoil? What is God like in the face of death? What is God like in the face of the hungry? It says he has compassion. It says that, that he has, the best way we can understand it in our finite selves, he has a gut reaction that is like, I have to do something about this. And so Jesus heals sick, feeds the hungry. God's character is to have compassion. God's character is to move to meet the need being presented. Furthermore, God's character is to invite all who have come to see him in to have a banquet. The book of Revelations talks about a formal feast in the end times that will be for all members of his family, that will be for all people who call on his name, that will be for all people who have had a need and raised their hand and said, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It'll be for all people who ever said, oh God, where are you? It'll be for all people who always knew or who found out real late in the game. It'll be the ultimate form of unity that God's heart in the end of this all is that we all sit down together and break bread. Isn't it beautiful to think about? Where is your lack of trust in who God is? cause you to take things into your own hands? Where is your lack of trust in God's character and who he reveals himself to be cause you to doubt, cause you to spiral into dark thoughts? Do you trust who God reveals himself to be? Do you believe 
the Apostle Paul as he testifies on behalf of the character of Christ. It says that he works all things out for the good of those who believe. Do you believe that this morning? So then the disciples, hearing this command and this expectation from Jesus, they're like, ah, okay, so you want to feed everybody. Well, here's the thing, Jesus. Um, This is all we got, right? Other gospels reveal to us, like in John, it tell us it wasn't even what they had. They took some kid's lunch. They were like, they were like, we don't have anything. Go shake that kid down. Go see what he got, right? No, there was a little faithful kid that said, ah, I got this, right? And the disciples are like, yeah, you know, logistically speaking, I just don't see how this works. Everybody got to have a tiny piece, you know what I'm saying? Like just a little bit, like communion type, just pass it around and, you know? Jesus is like, man, will you just bring that to me? Will you, just, will you just bring your only have to me? I know all of us at some point in time have been in that posture of like, well, I only have this, right? Some of us sitting here this morning are hearing calls to participate in the Christmas shop with your time, with your finances, and you're like, ah, it's tough, Dish, because I only have this, right? It's tough, like you want me to scan that QR code and participate in this portion of worship, but all I have is this and Jesus I have to believe is just sitting up there like like man will you just bring it to me Amen. right if all you have is whatever you have will you just bring it to me yeah. and then can we just like look at what happens for a second when they're faithful like will you just bring it to me and they're like all right fine here you go five loaves two fish good luck bro oh, yeah. but can we look at what he does yeah. it says he feeds everybody everybody, everybody ate Oh, everybody got a piece. No, 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 no. I think you missed the part that it said everybody was full. And then Jesus had to say, "Uh, I see some leftovers out there, and I know y'all going to doubt again tomorrow. So why don't you go get those and bag those up and bring them with us? Right? That there is, that there's actually, there's not just enough for thousands of people to eat off of what the little bit that we brought, but there's actually an abundance. There's actually a whole lot. There's actually more left over. We could have invited our friends. We could have invited those cousins that we barely like. We could have invited our, our entire neighborhood and we still would have been good. We, there's room to include, include more people on what Jesus is doing and there's still gonna be enough to keep that chain going. That's crazy. And all it took was for somebody to be faithful enough to bring what they only have. Do you trust what God can do with your only? I can't, I can't, I can't really rock with you on this one, Pastor, because because I only have this much money. Right. I only have I'm, I'm on a fixed set of resources that I'm working with, Pastor. But do you trust what he'll do with your only? Well, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand. I don't. I don't. I don't have like that much to offer a, a, a space, right? Even even musically, right? Like Rev has an open invitation to like you know come be a part of part of the team, but like I probably only know like two or three chords. Well, well, don't you know that if you and I are listening to the same worship music, you and I both know that God is pretty faithful to do a whole lot with only two or three chords. You know what I'm saying? 
You see what I did there? CG and D, bro. God does a whole lot. Every once in a while, mixing an E flat, have the whole room moving. I'm saying. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, God, you, you, don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. I, I do feel like maybe I need to give up some of these things. Maybe, maybe I can offer some of my relationships like Pastor KT was talking about a couple weeks ago. But, 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 but if I let go of this relationship out of faithfulness to God, who's going to fill the need of my loneliness? Right? Who's going to fill the need of my brokenness? See, you don't understand. This is my friend. This is the person who's, who's, who's been right there. But you don't understand that the person who's been right there is the one that's keeping you right there. That one. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> because I think the point got across. See, the thing is, when we hold back our onlys, right? When we hold back what we only have, we, we, we think that we're communicating that we're just, we're just scarce in resources. But what we're actually communicating is that I don't trust God with it, right? We think we're communicating, I need this. What we're actually communicating is I don't trust God with it, right? I don't trust that the broader need will be met and my need will be met. But I, I, I have to boil it down, and I have to, especially in instances like this one, ask you the question, do you trust God's competence? Because that's what I feel like is in question when we do that. I, see, I understand the resources that I have, and I don't see how God is going to do all that God wants to do with the resources that just I have. Right? But is that for you to figure out, and do you trust what he's capable of? Because I've seen a Savior that just took five little pieces of something and a couple other things that stink and made a whole banquet out of it. So do you trust what God can do? Here's the thing. This is what crazy was crazy about me because you know, Rev was saying earlier about intellectualizing everything. I know a whole lot of folks were like, this, did this happen like this? Did it really go down? Here's what I got to point out is that if this was the one instance of scripture where Jesus did something like this, I'd be like, okay, maybe let's be open to a conversation. But the thing about it is, is that when you go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, I'm talking like thousands of years ago, there's instances like this recorded in history over and over and over again, right? Go to Exodus 16, where the, where the Israelites are like wandering in the desert and they're like, man, why we even come out here? Maybe it'd be better to just like go back to slavery because at least there we were fed. And then all of a sudden... Bread fell out the sky. Like, 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 go back, go back specifically to 2 Kings chapter 4, and you have instance after instance after instance where Elisha was like, This is all I got to feed a hundred men. That's all right, God'll do it. And he does. Or even even as long as we're on 2 Kings chapter 4, even before that, where a woman was like, was like, There's a need for oil, but all I have is this tiny little container. And then God touches it and God blesses it, and her oil never runs out. And she even sends some home with others, right? What about what, what about the fact that this is a recurring uh, instance in the Gospels that that all four Gospels don't only tell this story, but tell other instances where Jesus did something really similar or exactly the same to this specific situation? What about the fact that this keeps going? 
What about the constant testimonies, even in 2023, of people who were like, I had nothing. I gave up. I called on God. Now I'm giving stuff away. What about that? What about the fact that it just keeps happening? What about the fact that he's not new to this? That whatever your lack is, that whatever your hurt is, that whatever your need is, that he's seen it before. That he's already met it before. That he's still got left over for you to have been invited to the first one. What about the fact that he is faithful? Hebrews chapter 13 says Jesus Christ is faithful to do this. He's faithful to to be the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever. What about the fact that it's the same God, the same God who freed his people from slavery, not only once, but on multiple instances. What if I told you that's the same God that wants to free you from your chains? What if I told you that it's the same God who multiplied food for a number of people a number of different times across a number of ages in a number of different places? It's the same God that can multiply the resources you're faithful to offer. What if I told you it's the it's the same God? It's the same God that was moved to compassion. To include the outsider is the same God that is moved to compassion to meet your desire for acceptance and adoption. It's the same God. We're not reading about a historical figure that ceases to exist and work miracles and meet needs today. We're talking about the same God. Do you trust the credibility of what God has done? Do you trust the credibility, the the consistency with which God meets needs? I'm going to close with just one more thought. Worship team is going to come back up here. We're going to move into a time of response. But I have, before I go, I have just enough time to remind you of Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three that in verse five specifically says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Proverbs chapter three, verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Your own understanding has you hungry. Your own understanding has you lonely. Your own understanding has you resentful. Your own understanding is holding on to that hurt that you've been had for a real long time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart because you can trust who he is. You can trust moreover that he's for you. John chapter 1 tells us that even though Jesus knew people were going to reject him, even though this was the very creation he created and already had turned away from him, even though he knew not all would call on his name even in the face of him, he came anyway. He, He moved 
into your neighborhood. For me and for you, you can trust what he can do. <laughs> I got to tell you, I've seen God do some wild things. I've seen God take an abandoned school building and flip it for a dollar into a fully functioning community center that I don't know if you knew this, still goes to this day. And a big part of why it's still meeting needs in this community is because the people who gather together under this ecclesiological understanding that we are called the church and that together we are going to grow, we're going we're gonna to figure some hard stuff out, and we're going to give unto others out of what God has given to us. And that still goes on to this day. And that's not in China. That's not thousands of years ago. That's today. That's the room that you're sitting in. That's the work that you're a part of. You can trust what he can do because I've seen him do a lot crazier than whatever it is that you have to ask him. We're talking about the God who rose from the dead. We're talking about the only being in all of existence that never had to submit to death, did so anyway, so that he could get up on the third morning and say, gotcha, they're coming with me. You can trust, you can trust his consistency. You can trust that he will be the only person in your entire life that will never switch up on you that will never let you down, that will never let you get lost, that will never stop trying to find you, that will never not try to seek you out. He's the only one that's been that consistent. He's the only one that's been that good of a father. He's the only one that's been that good of a savior. He's the only one. And can I tell you some one more bit of good news that I already said, but I want to repeat it again because I think it's a good landing. He's faithful to do it yesterday. He's going to be faithful to do it today. And he's going to do it for forever. Let's pray before I keep y'all here till Cowboys kick off. Father God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your consistency, for your all-powerfulness, for your character. God, we thank you that we have significant reason to trust these things. Lord, we want to be a part of that. So God, we ask in this time that you would give us this day our daily bread. Father, you see us as the crowd who came to you out of need and invited us in. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to give to you the need that we have, that we would be faithful to give to you our only and that we would be faithful to be endurant and persistent enough to see it all the way through to the point of recognizing and being able to testify that only you could have done this. God, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've held on to our own stuff. We pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've sat down hungry. We pray for forgiveness for the ways that we did not trust you to meet our needs and the ways that we took matters into our own hands. Lord, we give those things to you today. God, we believe 
that you are a good shepherd. That insofar as we are following you, we shall not want. That even in the midst of all that the world has to offer, we will be satisfied. Because God, we recognize that the path that we follow you on leads us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil. 